0: And today, what should I believe about the church? 1 Corinthians 12 is a great passage on this theme of the church. I would like to direct your attention to one other passage as a companion text to the one that has already been read. Matthew 16, verse number 18. Jesus is with his disciples at the headwaters of the Jordan at Philippi. And there he declares something very powerful and very unique. He declares that the church is the personal project of the Lord Jesus himself. And this is what he said. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Not even hell can put it out of business. I think that's worthy of repeating. Not even hell can put it out of business. No matter what comes down the turnpike, it cannot and will not happen. How wonderful to be a part of something so significant, something so strong, so invincible as the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus is its head. He rules over the church. That's what makes it so invincible, so powerful. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Now, I would just like to point out in passing that when Jesus stood there with his disciples that day, he did not say, I will be the head of the Chrysler Corporation and earn $11 a year. He did not say, I am the head of Disneyland or of American Airlines or of General Motors or of IBM. With all of its faults, with all of its hypocrites, the church still ranks at the top of the list because Jesus said, I will build my church. And I don't want you to lose sight of that. All other kingdoms will fall. All other corporations will someday be done away with. But not this one. He is the head of the church and it will outlast time. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Praise the name of the Lord. Now what is the church? Some people think of the church as a building, and it is in part. Some think it's religious services. Some think it's an institution or others a denomination. And we could say, yes, that's in some way the church, but far more than that. And that's what 1 Corinthians 12 is all about where Paul puts it so beautifully and so simply, so easy to understand, the church is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I stated a moment ago that he was the head of the church. Well, every head needs a body so that it can function properly. And now we find it put together. We find the answer. We find what we should say when somebody asks, what is the church? The church is the body of which Christ Jesus is the head. The head rules in heaven. The body works on earth. Is that easy to see? It ought to be. The word church appears 112 times in the New Testament. It does not appear In the Old Testament, the church is a New Testament concoction founded on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit filled those waiting disciples in the upper room and sent them out to evangelize the world. The church was planned by the Father, founded by the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, working the will of God on earth. Now, how do you get into the church? You don't get into the church by coming to a membership class. Not the church I'm talking about. You don't get into the church by filling out a card in some formal setting which says you now are a member of the church. No, you join the church by accepting the head of the church. That's the only way you get into it. By accepting the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says, And he, Jesus, put all things under his feet. He became the head over all things to the church, which is his body. And in chapter 2, Paul states that it is by grace that we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, not joining anything, not of ourselves, not by works, lest any man should boast, but by grace are you saved through faith, faith in the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have another term for it. We call it the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, is what we sing. And that's a wonderful term. Like the little girl who had accepted Christ, she said, if the devil knocks at my heart's door and he tries to get in, I just send Jesus to the door. She learned. He is the head, he is the Lord of his church. And if the devil is trying to get in, you just send the head to the door. And you know that Satan is defeated because he cannot overpower the head. Hallelujah. Well, three points in my message today, and I'd like you to follow me very, very carefully. In the church, we are one is the first point that I want to leave with you. We are one. Important. Look at Acts chapter 10 for a moment, where Peter received a vision from the Lord as he was on his housetop at noontime. If you read from verse 9 of the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, you will see an interesting development in this passage. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and he became very hungry, and he wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Now notice verse 15. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now jump over to verse 28. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Jump over to verses 34 and 35. This is at Cornelius' house. Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. Notice verse 43. To Him all the prophets witness that through His name whoever believes in Him will receive remission of sins. Jump over to chapter 11, verse 17. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? In the church we are one. Don't call any man common or unclean. In Christ there are no Samaritans. In Christ there are no Jews. In Christ there are no Gentiles. For by one Spirit are we baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be born or whether we be free. In Christ we are one. All walls are broken down in the body of Christ or in the family of God. We embrace all, no matter what their color no matter where they got their education, if they are in Christ, they are part of us. We are one in the family of God. Now friend, if you can't say that, you've got a deep problem. You've got a biblical problem. You are opposed to what Jesus Christ made real to the Apostle Peter that day in Acts 10. You're opposed to everything that the New Testament stands for. Those who name the name of Christ who have received the head, the Lord Jesus Christ, as their own Savior and Master. They are in the church, and you ought to give them the right hand of your fellowship. Not only are we all one, but all members are needed. You see, that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. You can live without an arm but it's certainly not as convenient. You can live without your legs but it is certainly not as convenient as having them, is it? There are other parts of you that you cannot live without. Why do you suppose they invented the guillotine? Remove one part and the rest ceases to function. So you remove the head and you have no functionability. You take out any part of the body and it doesn't function as well. Inside of us there is a liver and there are kidneys and gizzards. Miles of them, they tell me. I've never seen them, but I assume they're there. And they are important. One of the great fullbacks in college football went to work in a lumber camp to build up his body in the summertime. In that summer of work, in a freak accident, he lost part of his big toe. That little accident ended that man's athletic career. He was one of the finest in the nation. But losing one part of one member of his body changed the course of his life. Now, the church has a lot of big toes in it. And you need to realize how important you are. I get so weary of people who don't think it's important for them to be in the services of the church. Nobody's going to miss me. That isn't even the point. You're a part of the body, and if that part is missing, the body doesn't function as well. Even if it's a big toe, it makes a whole lot of difference. Somebody's written these lines. Some go to church to take a walk. Some go to church to laugh and talk. Some go there to meet a friend. Some go there their time to spend. Some go there to meet a lover. Some go there a fault to cover. Some go there for speculation. Some go there for observation. Some go there to doze and nod. The wise go there to worship God. Why wouldn't we want to be as faithful to the church as we would be faithful to our food, faithful to our job, faithful to any aspect of our life? We need to become convicted of our laziness and our lackadaisical attitudes about the church of the living God because every member is important to the function of the body. Our focus needs to be upon Him when we come. Psalm 134 verse 2 says, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord doesn't say, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and look around and see what Mrs. Jones has on. It says, lift up your hands and bless the Lord. That is the activity of the church. Our love should then reach horizontally toward each other. After we have worshipped Him and blessed His name, we reach out to touch each other. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133, 1 says, Paul put it this way, if one member suffers, all the members suffer. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice. Although none of us is the same, each of us is important to the whole. Whatever part we have, a big toe, an arm, a leg, an ear, an eye, whatever it is, each one is important in that body. And nobody is to be excluded. Amen? Secondly, in the church there are problems. Do I need to tell you that? I would ask you to open to Revelation 2 and 3, just for a little insight into what I've just said. In the church, there are problems. In Revelation 2 and 3, there are listed seven churches of Asia Minor, which are emblematic of the church of any age. You'll find these conditions in the church in any age. Look at that first century church. The very first one that is mentioned is Ephesus. And in verse 4 of chapter 2, I have this against you that you have left your first love. How's that for a start? Here's a church that has acknowledged Jesus as the head, and the head says to that church, I'm angry with you because you don't have the same love today that you had when you joined me. How about you? When you were thrilled to come to Sunday school and church and Sunday night and Wednesday night and prayer meetings and, 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 thrilled because of first love. What is the problem in the church? Lack of first love, relationship. Now, I remember when I had my first love, Mary Ann, I would always open the car door for her. I would always be careful that every part of her garment was inside before I closed it gingerly and gentlemanly walked around to the other side, got into my side very carefully, shut the door very quietly, eased it into low gear, and sailed into the sunset. (laughs) 34 years later, what's keeping you? We've got to go. The door is open, and as soon as her foot gets inside, away we go. Aha! What's the difference, 34 years? I still love her, but it's different. First love is really special, and that's the kind of love that the church of Jesus Christ is to keep in her relationship to the head. How is it with you today? You're excited about your relationship with him? Look at the second church, Smyrna, verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death. I will give you a crown of life. You see, they were afraid of suffering. Problems in the church. What's the problem now? People are afraid to suffer. People are afraid to give all. People are afraid to sell out 100%. People are even afraid to say, I belong to the church. For what somebody might think of them. In the church there are problems. In verses 14 and 15 you have doctrinal impurity. The church is the church of Pergamos. I have a few things against you because you have there are those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And in verse 15, there are those who have the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, doctrinal difficulty. All you have to do is read the mail to discover the doctrinal impurities that come into the church. Mail that comes all the time. I question this, I question that, I don't agree with this, I don't agree with that. Doctrinal differences, doctrinal impurity deviations from what the Bible says. People are trying to convince me that homosexuals will get to heaven. The book doesn't say so. And I will not hold to that doctrine because the Bible says they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven if they hold on to that lifestyle. Now, they can be forgiven. They can be saved. And I believe the blood of Jesus can deliver them. But if they remain... In that state, the Bible is emphatic, and I cannot compromise that. So don't get mad at me, get mad at the author. He's the one you're going to have to face anyway. So in the church, there are problems. There are doctrinal problems, problems of impurity. In the 20th verse, there is moral problems. According to the text, Thyatira was the church. I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and beguile my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. In the church today, there is this problem of moral impurity. Do I need to elaborate on that after the news of recent days? Should that shake our faith? I trust not. It ought to drive us to our knees. That's one of the problems of the church. Impurity, morally, always has been because we are mortal individuals and it's only the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that that can keep us true and faithful to our commitment to the head. Anytime we compromise, anytime we don't keep our relationship with Him on a daily basis, we're in trouble whether we're in the church or not. Sure, there are problems in the church, problems of moral purity, We ought to know that from reading the book. As you move into chapter 3, you are introduced to the Sardis church, and in this church, you have deadness. To the angel of the church in Sardis, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. How do you like that? This church was absolutely dead. You have a name but you're dead. A new minister in a small Oklahoma town spent the first days of his ministry there calling on the membership, trying to get them back to church. He failed. They didn't come, so he placed a notice in the local news stating that as the church was dead, it was his duty to give it a decent Christian burial. He announced the funeral would be held the following Sunday afternoon at the church morbidly curious, the whole town showed up. In front of the pulpit was a coffin smothered in flowers. The minister read the obituary and delivered a eulogy. He then invited the audience to step forward and pay their respects to the departed. The long line filed by the casket. Each mourner looked into the coffin and turned away with a guilty sheepish look. In the coffin... That minister had put a mirror tilted at the correct angle. And as they stopped, they saw themselves in that casket. Oh, what an illustration. You have a name, but you're dead. Sure, that's one of the problems of the church. Indeed it is. There are people who sit here that look very much alive, but they're dead. Dead in trespasses and in sins. There are churches that are literally dead. Sardis was dead. But thank God they had, Jesus specializes in resurrections and resuscitations. Revival. And the church can come alive. Are you a part of that revival? Or are you just going on with your one hour a week? I think it's something to think about as we get closer to the coming of Jesus. Now, the sixth church is Philadelphia, and it looks real good at the outset. But in verse 11, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast what you have. The danger of letting go, it's always with us. The danger of compromise, the danger of giving in to pressure. Not holding fast is one of the problems. One of the things that plagues the preacher's heart. Where are those that were here a year ago, two years ago, ten years ago? Where are those that once served on the board that are no longer serving Jesus Christ even? Not holding fast. One of the problems. The last church mentioned is the Laodicean church, and you know its problem. It's lukewarmness. Verses 15 and 16. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth you have the picture of God vomiting. That's exactly the picture you ought to have. Lukewarmness makes Jesus sick. It makes him ill. I would that you were cold or hot. What hurts the church the most? Lukewarmness. What killed the frog? Lukewarmness. As they put in a little more and a little more, and it finally fried him. But they started with lukewarmness, and he got so used to it, he couldn't sense that it was actually killing him. Lukewarmness. How do you know if you're lukewarm? I wouldn't think it'd be too hard to discover that. Where are your interests? What are your priorities? If you come up with right answers, you'll find out whether you're lukewarm or whether you're really hot for Jesus, the head of the church. And I would just suggest you become a part of the solution rather than being a part of the problem. That's the way to answer that. Watch out for lukewarmness and all of these problems that are recognizable in the church of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, in the church, you'll find the ultimate issues of life. In the church, we are one. In the church, we have problems. In the church are the ultimate issues of life. Like, for example, death. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men to die once, but after this the judgment. That simplifies a lot, doesn't it? We've got a civilization of people out there who don't want to think about death. And we've got thousands of them that are so confused about death, some of them have already come back two and three times into this world, they say. Amazing, isn't it? The ultimate answers are in the church. It is appointed unto men once to die. That's emphatic. And after that, you don't return the judgment. That's the word of God. And if you've got these kooks out there trying to tell you that they were something else in some other civilization, they are as phony as baloney. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, you face God personally. That's what makes the church so powerful. Oh, I'm glad I'm part of the church. To have the answers. So wonderful. So simple. Proverbs sixteen twenty-five: There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of what? Death. Ultimate issues in the church. Heaven and hell, that's another ultimate issue. Revelation 20, 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name written there on the page, bright and fair in the book of the kingdom? Is your name written there? That's the ultimate issue. It's not how much you gave, it's not how long you served, it's not how many pins you've got on your lapel, it's not whether you were a mason or a Rotarian or a Kowanian or an elk or a moose. It's not whether you were male or female, it's what did you do with Jesus. It's whether your name is found in that book. Is your name in the book, sir? Hey, I'm talking to you this morning. Is your name in the book? Lady, is your name in the book? Has Jesus put your name in the book with his blood? Or are you trusting in yourself some good works, some crazy idea somebody gave you a long time ago? Listen, the ultimate issues are right here this morning, right here where we are. And if you're not found in the book, it says you're cast into the lake of fire. Now Jesus said in John 14, In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. See, he doesn't want you to go to hell. How could a God of love send people to hell? I hear it all the time. Had a letter like that this week. He doesn't send us to hell. We send ourselves there. He prepared a place for us that where he is we might be also. He prepared hell for the devil and his angels. If you're going to be one of the devil's angels, that's where you're going to go but he wants to write your name in his book. Is your name written there today? The world has forgotten in its concern with left and right that there is an above and a below. You want that again? That's classic. In the world's concern for the left and the right, they've forgotten there is an above and a below, and everybody's on their way to one or the other of the two. Right now, you're on your way to one or the other. What direction are you heading? The ultimate issues. That's what you need to believe about the church. The ultimate issues are here in the church. Another ultimate issue is love. 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. When everything that seems permanent is gone, our buildings, our bank accounts, our budgets, our programs, our cars, our boats, our well laid plans, love will be there. It never fails. Ultimate issue today, not only is it unfailing, it never ends. It's not based on lust, it's based on relationship. It suffers long, it's kind, it's not boastful, it does not think evil, it does not rejoice in iniquity. It bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Then why in the world are there so many love affairs going sour? Because we don't have the ultimate issue because we're doing it our way, because they didn't treat me right, because I don't want to do it anymore, because she's got wrinkles where she never had wrinkles before. Oh, my gracious. You ought to look at yourself. Ultimate issue is love, and it never ends. I'm so tired of people telling me I don't, Love her anymore? I don't love him anymore. Good. If that be true, you still signed a contract. Your name is on a contract in some courthouse somewhere in this country, and you'd better pay attention to that contract. God hates divorce. He hates. It. He only gave it because of man's disobedience and arrogance that he hates. We better start getting back to the ultimate issue or eventually it would be difficult to find a complete family in the entire church where divorce hasn't riveled and ripped apart because somebody didn't think they loved them anymore. You haven't found the meaning of love. God's love, the ultimate love, is 1 Corinthians 13, love. And if you can walk through that with me and tell me it's God's will for you to do some of the foolish things that people are doing today, then I'll accept that. But you sit down and walk through that with me first before you make a decision. Love suffers long, love is kind, love is not boastful, love doesn't think evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love bears all things. You mean burnt eggs and toast? Absolutely. You mean a poor housekeeper? Absolutely. Bears all things. What does all mean? It means all. That's what it means. Love believes all things, love endures all things, even the abuse. And you just keep praying like that. Love never fails. Hard line I'm going to take on love. The love that I understand is the ultimate issue of God is a love that does not run out. It is a love that does not move away. It's a love that stays when Everything else seems to be falling apart. Ultimate issues we deal with in the church. This is what we should believe about the church. Jesus is its head. He rules over it. In the church we are one. In the church there are problems. In the church we deal with the ultimate issues. The church will prevail. Voltaire thought the Bible was useless. He said, if we would destroy the Christian religion, we must first of all destroy man's belief in the Bible. He further predicted that within 100 years, Christianity would be gone. You know the end of that story? Ironically, within 50 years, Voltaire's house was owned by the Swiss Bible Society, and it was full of Bibles. Ha, ha, ha. The church will prevail. Get that into your head. It doesn't say your business will prevail. It doesn't say that the kingdoms of this world will prevail. It says the church will prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's where you ought to put your marbles, in the church. Uh, I've got to close, don't I? I get you so little time every week, I hate to let you go. Some of you I won't see again till next Sunday morning. That's sad. Maybe I can close with this little story of a woman who lived in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and she attended the church that one of our presidents frequented quite often. called the pastor during the week, and she asked him, will the president be attending this Sunday? He said, ma'am, I really don't know, but I can tell you this, God will be there, and that ought to be reason enough for us to be. I say amen and amen. We're dealing with something eternal when we deal with the church. You can't have a light attitude and a light view about the church. You need to be in the church. You need to be involved. You need to be giving yourself. You need to be giving your money. You need to be giving your talents. You need to be giving your whole life for that which lasts. To realize that we are one here. We'll stand together and we'll fall together. You must realize that in the church there are problems because we're dealing with human beings. If there weren't any problems, the problem began when you came in. And when I came in, you understand what I'm saying? You must realize that the church is the one dealing with the ultimate issues of this system today. That's what I would believe about the church if I were you. Founded upon the rock, Christ Jesus. What's your attitude been? I wish I could say it's my evaluation that 90% have a tremendous attitude about the church. I can't say that. I wish I could stand here and tell you that 50% have a fabulous attitude and are fully committed to the church and its head, Jesus Christ. I can't say that. I can stand here and say to you that all of the conditions I have shared with you from Revelation 2 and 3 are present in the church in some form or another. And we need to get on our faces before God and say, Oh, head of the church, heal your body, heal the members so that we may function in this world as we ought, to touch this world for Jesus Christ before he comes back again. The world is looking for a church that is animated by its head, evolved with the head, saturated by his spirit and his power, and committed even unto death, like that early church was committed. Are you a part of that? That's my challenge as we bow our heads in prayer God our father in the closing moments of this gospel service which has been filled with good things we want to ask you to touch people thank you for your church thank you for your, that you died for the church thank you that we're privileged to be a part of your body Maybe we feel we're just a little toe or a finger, but every member is important, and every member makes the body function better when it's fulfilling its rightful role. Lord, touch people who are not a part of it. They don't belong to the head. They are not involved in what you're doing through the church. They're involved in a thousand other things, but not in the church. In these ultimate issues, forgive us, Lord, we pray. and Let us get back to what made this nation in its beginning. Everything evolved around the church. Universities and colleges were begun by the church, but humanism and materialism and atheism has moved in, and we need a cleansing, Lord, in the church. We need to know that our names are written in heaven. We need to know that the Spirit of God fills us today. Cleanse us. Empower us. Shake us. Oh, Lord, we pray the name of Jesus our head while we bow together just to secure the privacy of every worshiper i want to ask you today are you a member of the church not somebody who's filled out a card not somebody who has done certain things but somebody who has joined by receiving the head jesus christ into your life his sacrifice his blood shed For your forgiveness and remission, are you a part of the church? If not, I want you to raise your hand and let me pray for you.